You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Representative Brian Fitzpatrick and Representative Josh Gottheimer, chairs of the Problem Solvers Caucus, join the Post to discuss the role of the group, its legislative priorities, and its support for a 9-11-style commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol attack. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Jackie Alamany, the author of the Washington Post's early morning newsletter, Power Up, and a congressional correspondent. Welcome to another one of our series, 117th Congress. Our guests this morning are co-chairs of the Problem Solvers Caucus, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, a Democrat from New Jersey, and Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, a Republican from Pennsylvania. Welcome so much to Washington Post Live, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jacqueline. We keep hearing bipartisanship is dead in Washington and that it's one of the most hyperpartisan times in our country's history, really. Is that perception reality? Who wants to start? Whoever you want. Let me take that, Josh. Go ahead, Fitz. All right. Well, um, Jacqueline, yes, uh, I think that statement is true. Um, I think two things are simultaneously true. Number one, uh, we do have, at least in my lifetime, the most divisive uh, political climate um, and perhaps the most divisive Congress. But I will also say that we also have uh, the largest block of centrists uh, that I've seen, uh, at least in a long time. Uh, in our caucus, as you're aware, we have uh, 58 members, 29 Democrats, 29 Republicans. It's the largest that our caucus has ever been, the Problem Solvers Caucus, that is. Uh, one-on-one ratio, Democrats, Republican. Um, and moreover, not only have we grown in size, we've grown in significance because we're taking on uh, even the hot button issues. We're right in the center of, of you know, heated infrastructure discussions, right in the middle of police reform, right in the middle of immigration. Uh, we've, you know, we're, we're going to a lot of, you know, places that some would consider politically dangerous because our country needs us to be there right now. So I think both things are true. I think you have a lot of, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of attention misplaced on the wings, the fringe left, fringe right, uh, where it should be, where most of the people are, which is where Josh and I are. Yeah, I would just add to that. I think, and Brian captured it really well, that what's going on here is the noise, you know, just keeps getting louder and louder from the wings of the parties, from the extremes. Um, but more and more, you have people coming up to me and to Brian and saying, hey, I like what you all are doing over there. You're actually trying to govern and get things done and to put country first. And can I be part of that? Because I, I, you know, I came here to actually work, get things done, move the move the ball forward. So I, I think you have both things happening, and I think the, the noise is actually forcing more people to say, I, I don't want to be here and just fight and scream and yell and tweet. I came here to actually get the people's business done. And when folks go home, what they hear about is, what are you doing for me to help me? Which you know, versus you know, I, I didn't send you there just to tweet. And I think that's actually. You know, we, we've hit a low point, but I think we're coming back to a, a place that uh, we should be at overall. I, I want to challenge both of you, though, on this premise that um, that because there is a significant chunk of centrists, uh, that a lot is getting done. I mean, we just saw uh, the January, the push, the proposal to establish a January 6th commission um, fail in the Senate even though it was a bipartisan push negotiated by uh, Republican Congressman John Kako. What, what do you think happened here? Well, Brian, I'm going to go first this time, and then you jump sure. in. Well, I think, listen, I, I think, first of all, John Kako is in the Problem Solvers Caucus and does a, a phenomenal job. 
and he, he was a great leader of this legislation. Also, nearly 30 of the Republicans who, or 30 or so Republicans who voted for this package in the House were Problem Solvers Caucus members, including Brian Fitzpatrick, who obviously helped lead the way here. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a completely partisan issue, but you're right, there are certain issues that uh, divide along party lines, and Brian can talk a little bit more about why this one is tricky. But my counter would be, look at the five bipartisan packages we got done on COVID together, including the one at the end of the year that Brian Nye and the Problem Solvers Caucus led in the House, the $908 billion package working with the Trump administration to get done um, when our leadership said it was impossible. Um, you know, and so time and again, we're working right now on the infrastructure package on, on working Democrats and Republicans, in both the House and the Senate. We're all working together. The Problem Solvers Caucus is doing that. Brian mentioned police reform. There's six of us that are at the table right now between the House and the Senate working on this day and night. Again, good bipartisan effort. So you're always going to have these these hyperpartisan issues that that drag people apart. But there's a, a lot of things actually getting done in a bipartisan way. Congressman Fitzpatrick, were you disappointed with the way that your Republican colleagues voted ultimately on the January 6th commission, especially in the Senate? Well, I was going to jump in to what Josh said. Uh, your, your question was, were we disappointed? Um, I would say, Jacqueline, uh, the January 6th vote is exhibit A of how influential and persuasive our caucus is, because it was us that actually endorsed it. Um, again, a, a, you know, relatively controversial bill for sure. Um, we endorsed it. We didn't stay on the sidelines. We stepped up. We put it before our caucus. We got the requisite two-thirds of the vote. And then that manifested itself, Jacqueline, with 35 Republicans crossing the aisle to vote for it on the floor of the House. That's our responsibility, and we delivered. Uh, we can't control what happens or doesn't happen in the Senate. Uh, what we can control is what happens in the House. Uh, we used our influence, our centrist block, to send a uh, pretty powerful statement there. So I use that, uh, Jacqueline, as an example of you know the influence that the Problem Solvers Caucus has, and the courage as well. And, and Congressman Gottheimer, you had mentioned uh, that you saw police reform as, as an area of bipartisan cooperation. Congressman Fitzpatrick, are there any other areas that you see lawmakers from both sides working on together to get done this in the 117th Congress? Uh, on deck, uh, infrastructure, infrastructure, police reform, uh, and immigration. Um, Jacqueline, we, uh, we took the only bipartisan trip uh, down to that border, at least at the time. I don't know who's gone down there since. Me and Josh led a bipartisan delegation of our colleagues to see the same things, hear the same things, um, get together afterwards and come up with mutually agreeable solutions. And we're going to do that again for immigration. It's a critically important issue um, on a whole host of fronts. Uh, it's inexcusable that the problem has not been solved. It's been not solved due to failures of, you know, multiple Congresses dating back decades, quite frankly. Uh, and it's on us to fix it, and we will. We have very strong resolve. And I can tell you, when we went down there, seeing the looks on those kids' faces and the looks on the faces of our CBP officers, our Border Patrol agents, and our Coast Guard, if that doesn't move you, then I don't. nothing will. Um, they both are, both uh, looks that we saw on those faces uh, need to drive us to act, because there's clearly a problem down there. Our Border Patrol agents are overwhelmed. Uh, the children are being put through horrific treks uh, from the Triangle countries uh, up through uh, Mexico. Um, it's just awful all the way around, and we got to fix it, and we are very, very strongly resolved to fix it. 
And I want to get to a question from one of our viewers uh, in the audience right now from both of you. We have Betsy Bowman from California who asks how you can continue to make progress even as political divides are growing. You want to start, uh, Congressman Gottheimer? How can you make progress even as the divides grow? Is that what the question was? Yeah. Yep. Um, well, I, I think to what we've just been talking about, and that's a really good question, um, you, you have to really believe uh, in, in the mission of staying in the room no matter what and keep them working toward an end goal. And, you know, it, it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, hey, I'm just going to go to the wings. I'm not going to, well, I'm not actually going to extend a hand and try to figure out those places where we can agree. In the Problem Solvers Caucus, you know, our whole mission is when we, when we get to 75% of us agreeing, we stand as a block and agree to vote together and stand together. So that's 58 members of Congress, right? More than 10% of the House of Representatives. We also agree never to campaign against one another or to, um, uh, and, we, and we meet weekly. Um, we also commit to actually getting to know one another and building that trust, never, never writing a check against, uh, against someone's campaign. So, so you know, the, the idea is to really build that spirit of cooperation. Listen, Brian's a proud Republican. I'm a proud Democrat. We still disagree on plenty, but we really try to do it in the way we're supposed to do it, civilly, right? And, and I'll tell you, uh, we've, I've built some great friendships by working uh, with, with Republicans. And, and as a result, we're willing to talk to one another and work through the issues. You know, Brian and I are on the phone all the time. We had a group last night together on infrastructure of the caucus, working through some of our differences and trying to get there. We, and then, you know, Brian mentioned some of the bigger things before. We also get together every week and talk about uh, what other pieces of legislation that people might not read about every day, like cancer. And Brian is leading phenomenal legislation to attack childhood cancer and, 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 uh, and to do more on that front, working with the White House there. We're doing a lot of work on mental health. Um, so there are plenty of places where um, you, you actually don't read about in the paper that we make progress and vote together on all the time. Well, now I'll add to that, Jack. You'll, you'll never yeah. hear me and Josh say that what we're doing is easy. It's not. It's hard. Uh, what's <laughs> easy to do are, are what the, the fringe elements do, which is just vote party line. Uh, it doesn't take any thought. It's just reflexive. What Josh and I are doing, uh, our left and right ribs are bruised uh, all day, every day. Uh, we, we get it from all sides, and it's hard, but it's needed. It's necessary. And Josh and I both know that we are given the honor to serve for a very limited period of time at a very consequential time in our country's history, we got to step up and show leadership. We're not going to take the easy way out. We're, we're fine getting attacked from all, all sides, as long as we know in our heart of hearts that we're doing the right thing to make a positive difference. And we're going to keep Sorry. doing it. It seems like though bipartisanship has so far eluded Congress on the big ticket items. Uh, for example, the COVID relief bill that was passed uh, under the Biden administration in uh, just you know a few months ago, um, which garnered zero Republican support. But you, we now see some Republicans are campaigning on this stimulus bill, which is uh, wildly popular amongst the American people. Congressman Fitzpatrick, you were one of the lawmakers who voted against this bill. If you had to vote for it again, would you change your vote? I would not, Jacqueline. You know, we there, there were a lot of issues with that bill, you know, and good people can disagree. And, and that's another thing that our caucus uh, is very unique uh, for. Um, we respect each other's differences of opinion. We all represent different districts. We approach problems from different angles. But I will give you my personal perspective of that. Um, I think that anything, we, we had, Jacqueline, six, I believe was the number, purely bipartisan, almost unanimous COVID relief bills that were passed up until that point. 
So clearly we had the ability to do it. Um, you know, I understand there was a lot of political pressure and the, and the, the president um, coming out of the gate uh, wanted to get something done very quickly. Um, but what I believe in and what a lot of my colleagues believe in uh, and what we're trying to avoid, by the way, with infrastructure is not going down that path again. That's why Josh and I and our caucus, he mentioned, we had a meeting at 10 o'clock last night. Uh, we are at this all day and all night um, trying to find that centrist common ground, and we're hopeful we're going to accomplish that here uh, with the second big piece of legislation, which will be infrastructure. Yeah, let's get to infrastructure. Uh, Congressman Gottheimer, where do you think things stand right now? There seems to be a pretty big chasm still um, between the Republican counterproposals and what the Biden administration wants, hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, do you think this is going to get done in a bipartisan way? So I'm optimistic that it will. I'm not, as Brian said earlier, none of this is easy. You know, it takes time. Um, uh, Shelley Capito, uh, Senator from West Virginia, as you know, is the ranking member in the Senate working on this, um, going back and forth to the White House, I think, meeting with the president today. Um, we're also on uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus working with a group of senators, too, and have been now for weeks, to on a, a, a bipartisan proposal that's bicameral that focuses on the physical infrastructure piece of the president's larger jobs plan. You know, I, there's a lot of agreement. You know, we're, we're almost there. I feel very good about that. And it shows that if you stay at it and stay in the room and are willing over, uh, over pizza late at night to just keep hammering away at this, you can get there. And um, I think we will, just like we did on the $908 billion at the end of the year last year. It just took a long time to keep working it through. And I'm optimistic that, and I think it's critically important that we do something that's bipartisan. In this, in this case, the physical side of it is what we're, we're, we're scoping on, right? The roads, the bridges, the rail, tunnels, water infrastructure, broadband, um, part of the energy grid and green energy, right? Really focusing on that piece of it. And, and there's a lot of good cooperation happening there. And yesterday we saw President Biden offer a concession to Republicans. Uh, he signaled a willingness to forego his plan of raising the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28% and instead propose instituting a 15% minimum corporate tax. Congressman Fitzpatrick, is this the kind of compromise you think can garner Republican support? Uh, potentially, Jacqueline. It depends on how it's packaged, right? I mean, what Josh and I believe, this is what we talked about uh, on our meeting, Zoom meeting last night. We all got to be willing to give a little. That's the only way this works. Uh, you know, we, we take the perspective that you'd, you'd rather get 80% of something than 100% of nothing. That's what we believe in. So sure, you know, my Republican colleagues are going to have to come to the table and make some concessions in the spirit of compromise, just like Josh and his colleagues are going to have to do that. That's what the American people want us to do. Uh, just like any relationship in our lives, you don't get everything you want 100% of the time. You find the common ground, you come to the center, you build consensus, and there's always going to be things you disagree with and disagree on. You leave that on the side of the road, you can come back to that on a, in another day. Uh, find what you agree on and move forward and actually get it done. And that's what we're trying to do here. Do you support the, the minimum 15% Corporate tax? You know, uh, frankly, I, I got to say, you know, I heard about it yesterday and at a very high level, and I'm really curious to see how it would be structured. And as Brian said, how it would be part of the overall agreement. You know, I, I think what I've heard from Republicans, and, and this has been public, is that there's not a great appetite for changing the tax code in, the, in this part of the agreement. Um, you know, some of this might have to come through a second package if we do something on reconciliation. You know, my general views on that is, and this is not the problem solvers talking, this is just me, is that we just have to be very um, cautious about all of our of, of additional spending 
on how we spend it, and of course, on on the revenue raisers. Um, and you know, it's it's New Jersey is a very expensive place to live. Um, I'm, I'm I'm watching those tax rates very carefully. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, we, we in our conversations, we've been talking not just about how much we need to allocate for those different for the scope of of, of what we've laid out in the Problem Solvers Caucus. But of course, the pay-fors, and there's other pay-fors and revenue raisers on the table. Um, that's going to be part of the continued negotiation. I think it's a great step that the president is willing to keep going back and forth here. The key is we learn, and Brian will tell you this: as we learn, if you walk away, you can never get a you can never get a deal done, right? You have to stay at the table and be willing to actually give a little. Both sides are going to have to give a little bit, and that's when you find the deal. Um, I know there's a lot of pressure publicly for both sides just to pack up their tents and go home. You know, I, I, the fact is that people still want to stay at the table, and I think we just got to keep working at it until we get there, and we will. But I'm wondering from either of you, what is a pay for or a tax raise, something to pay for this bill that Republicans and Democrats agree on? Because we have well, yet to hear that. Well, we've talked about, as you know, closing the tax gap. The IRS has said that's a trillion dollars a year. Larry Summers has put out a different number on that that's going after uh, tax cheats. You know, there are global rates we've looked at as well. Um, um, there are uh, other user fees. There's public-private partnerships. That's There's the infrastructure bank. Um, there's a whole host of other ones that uh, um, we're still working on privately that I want to discuss today. Um, so, I, you know, I, is that the, I is think- that the gas tax, which I know has your caucus has floated the idea of raising the gas tax? I, I, the administration has been pretty clear about uh, not wanting that to be part of uh, any of the pay-fors. I think there's other potential user fees there. Um, but but the point is, there's plenty on the table, and that's where you, you work out the details. So I'm not concerned that we can't get there on the on the pay-fors. I think, you know, and based on the conversations we've had together, again, in the House at the problem solvers level, but also with our Senate colleagues from both sides, um, and just on the phone yesterday with a few senators talking about this, there's really a desire to get this done. And before we move on to immigration, Congressman Fitzpatrick, I didn't get your answer on whether or not you support instituting a 15% minimum corporate tax. That that depends on what it's packaged with, Jacqueline. Um, stand alone with nothing else. You know, we we got we got to it's got to be a product of a compromise. So if if that's what's necessary in exchange for for making this more of a true infrastructure bill, physical traditional infrastructure, that's over a a reasonable period of time that's going to invest. Uh, the right amounts in the right buckets, for example, on uh, broadband that are going to allow us to be competitive with a, with a nation like China. You know, you got to look at the whole package. It's impossible to answer any of these questions standalone. Um, on the topic of revenue raisers, Josh hit it right on the head. You know, you have your traditional user fees. Um, my, my personal view is, of the gas tax is that's a regressive tax. The bill that I actually introduced, Jacqueline, uh, is carbon pricing that would completely repeal the gas tax because I believe that you ought to tax things you want less of. Uh, not what you want more of. If we want less pollution, we ought to tax pollution. Uh, in fact, we also we, we started the hashtag tax pollution, not profits. That's something we should all want to get behind. Vehicle miles traveled, um, taxing um, batteries for electric vehicles upon installation and amortizing them over the life of the vehicle. Josh mentioned P3s. There's a whole uh, toolbox, a whole kit that we can that we can uh, employ, but it's going to be a product of negotiations with me and Josh and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and and Bill, and Bill Cassidy and, and so many of our colleagues. Uh, and we got to come up with a package that we will agree to. Uh, and we're very, very close to that. And both of you have, as you mentioned earlier in the session, visited 
the southern border in Texas. Congressman Fitzpatrick, you've said that the caucus is going to shift its priority to immigration once the packet, the infrastructure package has been voted on. What did you see at the border and what bipartisan solutions do you think are possible on immigration? Yeah, Jacqueline, well, uh, one of the many things Josh and I have in common, we, we love and support our law enforcement and we love our nation's children and we love the world's children. Um, when Josh and I went down there, we had a little kid, uh, Josh, I don't know if he was five years old, cutest kid you would ever see in your life. So cute. He, okay. he, he would not stop hugging Josh and I, and it would just break your heart. Just an adorable kid. And you look at the look on their face and it just breaks your heart. And then you look at the border patrol agent who's walking us around these facilities and they look so tired and dejected because they're, they're being asked to be humanitarian workers, which they're not trained to do. We've got to fix this, Jacqueline. And, I, and this is one issue that I get really upset about because we know what's needed to fix it. We need to come together around two principles. Number one, and, and in no particular order, uh, we are a nation of the rule of law and a nation has an obligation to defend and protect our borders. And second is we're a nation of immigrants. Uh, our country was built on immigrants, like my grandfather uh, and grandparents who came in through Ellis Island uh, from Ireland. Um, that's what made America great is immigration, but it was legal immigration. We know what we need to do to fix this. Uh, and we had a group that went down there, many Democrat colleagues, including Henry Cuellar, Vicente Gonzalez, that have very pragmatic approaches that I would absolutely sign on to as a Republican. We can make them bipartisan, but we just gotta be willing to show the courage because that's what's stopping it every single time, Jacqueline, is the fringes that are afraid to even migrate a little bit from their base. You gotta have the courage to fix this problem. And, and Congressman Gottheimer, how do you think the Biden administration is handling this issue so far? I think it's tough, right? I mean, I think this is, they were given a, a, a tough deal right now. Um, and, you know, and I also just wanna say thank you for having a conversation like this where you can actually answer in greater depth than a soundbite. Right, which is part of the challenge right now on immigration overall. Right, everybody wants to take shots at each other instead of instead of digging into it the way Brian just did. It's very difficult. Right, you've got um, uh, the cartels uh, getting paid about seven to eight thousand dollars a person that they bring up. Um, uh, we know that there's rules in place that if you're with a child who's seven or under, um, uh, the family stays here through the process. So a lot of children are actually being used um, uh, and sold in the process to, to basically rent it to go up with families. It's horrific. The cartels through mules are actually making more money now through moving people illegally uh, than they are from drugs. And it gives you a sense of, of, of why there's such a big flood at the border. And as Brian rightly said, you know, we need to have tough borders to protect our country, but also live up to our values. And there's a way to do this. But it's gonna take reform. It's gonna take us all actually doing the hard stuff. We've been working on this as a caucus for years. We had a proposal um, years ago that we were very close to getting the floor. We had enough votes if it actually got to the floor to pass it, but you couldn't get it to the floor because it's not, because you've got leaderships on both sides wanting to use it as a political football instead of actually solving the problem. And um, so, so I think we're gonna to have to look at real comprehensive reform, obviously protect our dreamers, Obviously, you have tough borders, but then solve, you know, and, and Brian and I and the caucus have talked about many approaches to actually how do you deal with where the intake is and have due process so you protect the people who need protecting uh, and, and who are coming up. And especially those uh, children that Brian talked about, it's, it's so heartbreaking. We, we were at this facility, as Brian said, where it was just children, right? That's all at this whole facility. And these little kids who were four and five years old 
who who were brought up and just left at the border. But it's the reason their families are sending them because it's so bad where they are that they anything they just want to be part of the American dream and be in the United States. That's how much that's how great our country is. But it's it's a very tough thing that we've got to grapple with. And I think Brian and I and a group of us can really come up with some answers here. But it's going to take patience and political courage. And uh, and but I think we can do it. And and we're both very committed to tackling it. And I want to pivot a little bit here, Congressman Gottheimer. Some longtime observers of Joe Biden say he's governing much more liberally than I think his uh, his somewhat moderate record during his Senate career. On the scale of one to ten, from progressive uh, to moderate conservative Democrat, what rating would you give him right now? I'm not big on ratings, but uh, but, I'll, but I'll tell you this: I, you know, I think he's doing a very good job in a very tough climate. You know, there was a package which was partisan, as you talked about, um, that we just couldn't agree on. After, but but we remember we did five bipartisan packages on COVID, um, uh, and we've been and there's been plenty of bills that we've worked on together in a bipartisan way, and we'll continue. You know, this is why I think it's so important, and I really appreciate the administration's commitment to getting uh, infrastructure done in a bipartisan way right now. They're obviously working hard at it. I think both sides are committed to it. And to me, right, you know, I, I think it's a little unfair to jump to conclusions yet about where this administration is or isn't. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, how they stood by Israel in the when they're attacked by uh, Hamas, a terrorist organization, um, in in the last weeks. It's a, a great sign of, of of where they are on the foreign policy front. Uh, but you know, I I think in the next week or next week or two, we have a real opportunity here. To get together, and you know, the narrative; these narratives flip all the time. Um, I'm, you know, and, and I'm really glad that there's an openness to to bipartisanship here. Do you would you say that Congress and policymaking in general has been more uh, productive under this president than the former administration under President former President Trump? I think, as Brian said before, you still have lots of partisanship and still lots of screaming from the wings, and it's very noisy. Um, January 6th was not a, a helpful way to start this this new Congress, this new session. But I think we're getting back to um, working together, and and you know it's it's we're we're trying to fix years of division here. And I'm not going to blame any side for it. I'm just going to say that there's just been years of of fierce partisanship that we're battling against. And now you know uh, after a few really tough years, we're very focused on rebuilding and using these muscles of bipartisanship. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of, well, I'll tell you this, there's a reason why the Problem Solvers Caucus is growing and not shrinking. There are more members who actually want to govern in a bipartisan way that I'm hearing from than ever before, because they've had it with the way it is. And, they, and, and I think that's a great sign of where things are. And then you've got great leaders like Brian Fitzpatrick, who are so committed to this. You know, I'm, I, I brought a mug for him today, uh, uh, a good egg, it says. That's how I feel about Fitz. He's a good egg, and then we got a lot of good eggs in Congress right now um, who actually want to do the right thing and, and put country first. Well, so, but Congressman Fitzpatrick, I mean, there is obviously a lot of blame to go around for the bitter nature of politics. I, I, you know, do you consider former President Trump a good egg? What role do you think he played uh, in uh, poisoning the well and, and making compromise a bad word in politics? Well, Jacqueline, the one thing that you can notice from Josh and I, um, we, 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 you could spend all your time cursing the darkness or you could spend a time lighting candles. You know, we, we're trying to get things done. And human beings, by their very nature, when you start attacking them, 
um, and going negative on them, they get into their defensive crouch and then you're in, a, in, you're in battle mode. We're trying to avoid that. People make their own decisions and their own they draw their own conclusions on individuals. Uh, nobody's all good and nobody's all bad. Uh, just like no one party has a monopoly on good ideas. That's what we stand for, that's what we believe in. And that's what we're trying to advance. So that's my perspective on any president from any administration, and I know Josh feels the same way. You work with them in a constructive manner where doing so is gonna help your district and help your country. But you also have the courage to oppose them when th what they're doing is bad for your district and or bad for your country. Um, no matter which party they're from, no matter who they are, you gotta take that consistent view. That's the only way democracy works. And I get it, by the way, Jacqueline, like it gets better ratings when we scream and yell and go and go against each other publicly, right? When we talk about working together and governing and finding common ground, right? People, uh, you know, it's, it's a less sexy topic. I get it. But this is the only way we're actually going to get things done these days. But ratings aside, I mean, what I've heard privately from Democratic staffers and lawmakers privately, again, is a reticence to work with some of these Republicans who did vote to overturn the results of the election and offices that have downplayed the events of the January 6th insurrection. So how do two sides work together when some Republicans are, are operating on a different set of or on operating on a set of falsehoods and alternative facts. Who's that for? Uh, Congressman Fitzpatrick. But yeah, I'd like to hear uh, from both of them. Yeah, uh, that's not the case with Josh and I. We work, we work together every hour of every day. We're constantly on the phone with each other. We're constantly in meetings. If there's colleagues of ours that are refusing to work with other colleagues, that'd be a good question for them. Ask them who they're refusing and, to work with and, and why they're refusing to work with them. Uh, but I'll just that, add to that. that go ahead, yeah, Josh. Brian, I was just going to add to that. There, listen, there, uh, to your point, there are people on both sides who never in any climate have ever been interested in working across the aisle. And a lot of those people who were particularly loud after January 6th, uh, you know, are the same. You know, many of them weren't ever really interested in bipartisan governing. And, uh, and I, I could tell you right now, I talk to my colleagues all day long. No one is giving us lists of who they won't work with. The conversation is how can we get this done and who can we build a bipartisan coalition? Recognizing that when you've got a four seat majority in the House and a 50-50 Senate, that's the only way you can govern in this climate. And you know, and, and so you gotta kind of take these things as they are and recognize uh, that a lot of this is just good story and good noise. And, and Jack, we are out of time. Yeah, go ahead. That this all boils down to do you view diversity of thought as a strength to be harnessed, or do you view it as a weakness to be criticized? So when you see somebody, when you meet somebody from the opposite party, somebody who checked a different box than you did on your voter registration form when you're 18, do you look down on them? Do you think differently of them? Or do you say, you know what, I wanna spend time with this person and understand how they think and what they have to contribute to the conversation. That's what we believe in. And that's what our country needs. Exactly. I have a few more questions for you, but unfortunately, guys, we're at, it's all the time we have for today. I, I want to thank both of you, Congressman Fitzpatrick and Godheimer, so much for joining us. Uh, and I hope to see you thank both you. again soon. Thanks. Have hope, everyone. Don't worry. Thank you, Jacqueline. We appreciate your time. <laughs> Thanks, Jacqueline. See you, Josh. See you, Brian. And everyone else, please tune in on Monday uh, after the weekend, 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's when my colleague, Jonathan Capehart, is going to interview actor Jonathan Majors discussing how his roles have portrayed black masculinity. You can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find more information. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for joining.
Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.